Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. This is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from a campground in Maine that we know is very close to the home of (laughs) of our listeners. Our very own listeners. Because we enjoyed a nice seafood dinner with them last night. So thank you, Don and Kathy, for making the connection. It was fun talking RVing with you. And you never know who's right around the corner. And we'd never met them before. And they contacted us because they were in a house near us. Thinking about RVing. Thinking about RVing, right. They are wannabe RVers, and we hope that they can get themselves on the road in the not-too-distant future. RVing is a great time, as we're about to find out, because we are here in Herman, Maine, in our RV on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. And we are about to commence on a lengthy, over-two-month maritime tour of Canada. Right. And we are doing this on, with a caravan, which is not our usual travel style. Nope. Uh, this morning we just had a lengthy <laughs> briefing meeting where we got to meet our fellow travelers and the leader of the tour and the tail gunner who sweeps up in the back looking for disabled <laughs> rigs and lost campers, uh, talked to us about how things should work and yeah. what they expect from us and what they will do for us. And we will be traveling with a group for a change. So a Caravan or guided RV tour is uh, where you go with a bunch of RVers. Uh, in our case, we're going to be as many as 18 uh, rigs and about 36 people, obviously, and uh, rigs of all sorts, not just uh, the fairly gargantuan size that we are, but we see a, a bee or two. We have a, a truck camper, several smaller 25-foot or so motorhome type-ish. Fifth wheels. Fifth wheels of all sorts, travel trailers. So these people uh, come together at a designated spot, uh, and we are, we are going to go travel into Canada for about two months. We're going all the way to Labrador. We're doing this in the United States because we fear that we may not have good connectivity further on down the road. We may not be talking to much of anybody for the next two months. We will be talking to ourselves. Well, we are going to Canada, which is a fairly civilized country. We are expecting at least some Wi-Fi service, but we have to change money and go across the border. And This is the first time with the motorhome that we've... Well, no, that's not really... No, when we went this to Alaska, that's we right, did it. Right. And, and redo our cell phone plans. And we're going to start using loonies. Loonies and toonies. They're toonies? Yes. Oh, that's a $2... Uh, Bill. They don't use coins in Canada anymore. Really? Well, they got rid of them all. The coins? They don't use pennies either. I thought loonies were coins. I think they used to be, but I don't think they are anymore. Really? Well, we'll see if I'm wrong. Oh, I thought he just said, well, we have things to learn about. Right. So for you Canadians who are listening to the We're yelling at the Sorry, one of us is wrong. Maybe it's me. I guess we'll find out. Um, We're not expecting too many problems at the border, but... Oh, we've heard a variety of stories. Uh, Probably a lot of them are old wives' tales from they'll take your chicken and eggs because they're worried about bird flu. They'll take your potatoes because they want you to buy theirs. And um, we know know that the wine that we've brought is in serious danger of getting a heavy tax added onto it. That's happened to us before, so we know that one is true. But generally, cross Crossing the border is a, a pleasant experience to Canada as long as you don't have a DUI on your driving record. That's right. He didn't even mention that, did no, he? No, he didn't. That's one of the things we were surprised last time that well, we. They said they wouldn't have let us in. Yeah, if, if we had, had a, a DUI. DUI. <laughs> And typically, these caravan groups are older adults, although we are sad to see that we are not the youngest in the group, as we used to be. And this time, for the first time, there's a grandma who's bringing two of her 11-year-old grandsons, who we have not met yet. So that will be an interesting dynamic to this group. And this caravan is also somewhat unusual in that usually you sign up for the trip, whatever the trip happens to be. And because this one is so long, some people have opted to do it in 
at least two pieces. So uh, there will be some coming and going and meeting of new people and saying goodbye to new friends uh, along the way, which will change the dynamics of the group, I would think. So this is a lot different than just traveling by yourself um, because not only do you have a group, and we don't travel you know, in boat 12 RVs in a row or 15. We travel, uh, we are expected to be at our final destination at a certain time, and we leave in time to get there at that time. But we travel by ourselves, or if you tr- if you find a compatible person along the way, you can travel with them. But there is a tail gunner who's at the end, so that if you're a little bit uneasy about traveling to a foreign country, or if you're just a little bit uneasy about RVing in, in general, this is a, a way to do it in a very safe way. Because there's And there's somebody looking out for you at every step of the way. And they, as we have mentioned before, they take us to events and things that you probably would have a hard time organizing yourself. So, because they know, not only do they know where to take you, and you don't have to do a lot of research, basically, we just get on and drive. And this trip will be driving, I think he said, about 3,900 miles. And they give us uh, travel logs as we go along uh, with directions uh, step by step. Not everybody has a GPS, and on this trip you don't need a GPS because they give you these nice directions. And, of course, all the campgrounds are taken care of, and and we just drive uh, not as a group. We just kind of float along and uh, get there when we get there. And if we want to make stops for lunch or sightseeing, we can easily do that. Because you can imagine, especially in the more remote areas where we will be, it's not a kindness to the locals to have 18 RVs (laughs) all ganged up on on a road. So, um, for example, at our meeting this morning, Morning, the the organizer of the trip said that he was leaving at seven thirty, mm-hmm. and the tail gunner will be leaving at ten thirty, and we need to leave somewhere between those two times, and we will spread ourselves out on the road. And the tail gunner, being last, will look for anybody who has a problem along the way. Hopefully, he will have little to do. That gives you the security that knowing that if you don't show up at the campground <laughs> that night, that somebody will see that. It's not like being on a tour where you are cheek to jowl with other people all day long. However, uh, we will be going from here. We we travel tomorrow for about 200 miles, and then we spend three days in Quebec City, which is nice. So it's not like every day is just uh, driving, driving, driving. And they are going to take us on a bus tour. Uh, which is also organized, of course, by the by the company, and we will be sightseeing in Quebec uh, as well as other cities with a guide and you know the whole nine yards in terms of uh, taking care of us that way. They, but we sleep in our RVs, of course, and we tra- go between the venues. Uh, following their directions, which is a really nice way of travel. You know, if you're a little bit uh, uneasy about traveling to foreign countries, if you're a little bit uneasy about some of the roads and stuff, or if you just want to kind of sit back and and let somebody else do the work, this is a great way to travel. Or if you want to meet some nice people. I think all of those things, if you're very social, because they have meals planned, they have campfires, potlucks, you know, every day there's something exciting to do. And a lot of people kind of enjoy that. And we do, too. People in the caravan typically come with all different kinds of RVs. They're not just big behemoth motorhomes like us. Uh, We have fifth wheelers here. We have Class B people here. We have a truck camper in our group. Uh, Typically, caravans are couples, but they certainly don't need to be. Mm -hmm. There are one or two singles on this trip, and one of them is a grandma who's (laughs) bringing along her two 11-year-old sons. We've never had this before. So we'll see how that adds, adds to the group dynamic to have young'uns traveling with us. Yeah, she's going to pick them up at the airport today. Today. And she's traveling with two dogs, two 11-year-olds, and herself in a Class B, a road trek. That is going to be She also brought a tent, I heard. A tent? Well, for the boys to sleep in, maybe. Uh Oh, Probably not the animals, just the boys. Oh yes. <laughs> so they're going to be. Well, that, that's another thing for people who have pets. They also provide um, pet care along the way. There are times like when you're on the ferry where you can't have your animal with you. Well, um, no, the all day. So field that's trips. something else that they take care of, which can be a worry for our. Yeah, because quite a few pets. people were surprised on this one. There are more cats than dogs, mm-hmm. but uh, they cater to all types of animals, and you're welcome to bring those along too. Which is one of the big things about RVing. What, what people like, they want to bring along their pets. Thank <laughs> you.
So we can recommend caravanning. It's a little expensive sometimes, but uh, especially for two months. It's a nice alternative to doing it on your own. As, as much as we like one another, it can be refreshing to speak to other people now and again. That's right. Um, and us being 62 feet uh, means that it's fairly expensive. Plus, and yeah. the ferry, which it's expensive on the ferry because you pay by the foot. We're the second longest vehicle, uh, 62 feet with a toad. I was surprised at how long we were. That's uh, kind of a shocker to me. But I thought we were more in the 55-foot range. So we're looking forward to lots of good eating on this trip, a lot of seafood. Um, many meals are included. Sometimes we have potlucks, and I'm going to do my best to forget how to cook during the next two months and, and enjoy all the eating out. And kind having, of like cruising. And having poutine and mussels in Prince Edward Island. Yes. Can we buy poutine at the store and bring it with us? Bring it home? Someone told me they sell it at Costco in Quebec. I know, but you have to... Isn't it over fries, and so you have to... I know. We'll find out. We'll find out. Frozen fries are not that good, so... Poutine it will be. We'll we'll be giving it a try at Costco. We're expecting to find various uh, nice stores along the way, too, so that we can resupply ourselves. Canada is a civilized country. Are you looking forward to lobster? We haven't had any yet. No, I brought my pots. I brought my crab claw cracking tools and my pokers, so I'm ready to buy some fresh seafood and enjoy. Yeah. On the way here, we had... uh, uh, we took about three days to go 1,200 miles, which is a little bit further than I generally like to tr- go in a day. But eh, the campgrounds and stuff along the way from Chicago to Maine are not that good. And frankly, the ones in Maine are not cheap by any means. I guess they have a short season. I don't know. Yeah. But they're expensive. Yeah, I don't begrudge them that. Um, but if you're in a campground to enjoy the campground, as we have been here while we're waiting for our trip to start, uh, that's one thing. But when you're just overnighting, I really appreciate the approach of the folks who run the Ohio Turnpike, 8090 across Ohio. Every other oasis has a place for you to plug in your RV and get water and dump and stay overnight for a very reasonable fee and just Uh pull out again in the morning. Except that we were in the only one that had back ends. So So we had to undo ourselves. I know. That's very inconvenient. But still, still, compared to... (laughs) You pay twice as much for a campground. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these were 20 bucks a night, which is uh, pretty reasonable for 50-amp electric. And they had a dump station and water so that you could fill up if you needed to. And I guess we would say about... We were the only ones there. The Northeast, the things we would say about Florida is that a lot of the campgrounds are, for us, expensive. And on the old side, so a little bit tight. And And more importantly, they have too many trees. trees. (laughs) So we can't connect with our satellite dish, which is a great misfortune when that happens. Yes, indeed. We do... don't want to have trees in this kind of a setting. So uh, we will have complete reports as we go along here all the way to Labrador and over the next few months uh, we will be speaking to you in detail about the itinerary that we'll be heading. And of course we've done this uh, on our own so it's entirely feasible that you could do this on your own. A lot of people use the caravan itineraries as kind of a basis for their own trips. And I do want to mention our brief stop in Freeport, Maine, uh-huh. which is always a must stop when we come this direction because <laughs> it's a very, very RV, RV-friendly town. They have um, huge lots specially designated yes. for RVs, well-marked, easy to get into and out of, and they encourage you Big to, like to stop and shop. Indeed. Um, this little town is the headquarters of L.L. Bean, which, as I understand it, has been in existence <laughs> for over 100 years and is open 360. 65 days a year, 24-7. So if you need snowshoes at 3 o'clock in the morning, you can stop by and get yourself some. I'm always impressed by the the sales staff there because they are obviously outdoorsy people who use the stuff that they buy and they want to give you good advice. And and around this huge flagship store, a lot of other outdoor retailers have Mm -hmm. what they call outlet shops, how economical they are, I'm not so sure. But altogether, there are 170 stores in this town, and um, they're all within walking distance of the RV parking lot, and a nice place to linger for a bit. And have a nice lunch. And and eat a lobster roll for lunch. $17 for a lobster roll, but it had lots of lobster in it. But that's, I think, the going... uh, But I think it's the going price these days in Maine, because lobster has gone up in price. Last time we were here, it was quite inexpensive. And of course, Freeport, Maine also has free RV overnight camping. If you want to stay the night. And Boondock. And Boondock, right. So you can do that right in their parking lot. 
and we did it last time we were here. We'll hope that you take us with you on your RV travels. We've talked to several people who want, who uh, are wondering about our podcast and how they want, how they should be using it. And of course, uh, we made it because we listen to podcasts as we travel, and we wanted to share the RV lifestyle with. RVers as they travel down the road and so that they can pick up on what we're doing and we can share with you and them. And that's the way we expect our podcast to be used. Um, of course, if you're just listening while you're cutting the grass, that's okay too. Well, and I think a lot of people who listen to us are people who would like to do some uh-huh. RVing and are trying to pick up well, ideas and suggestions about what they should buy and what the lifestyle is right, like. Right, exactly. Um, so they might be listening in their commute on the way to work. And they have questions and so they email us questions, which is good. We yeah. appreciate all the questions and many of the questions we have are about what kind of RV to buy and that's a, a tough question which we're going to get to in a few minutes. New signs. The RV navigator goes viral. I don't think that's viral. (laughs) Occasionally, we've heard from people who said they thought they saw us going down the road, but they weren't (laughs) sure if it was us. But from now on, you will have no doubt in your mind because Ken has ordered and installed a brand new sign on the back of our rig that is easily seeable from outer space. (laughs) Is it that big? And um, we we hope that it will um, attract a few more listeners. So we're expecting a big spike in listeners as we uh, look at the statistics in the next couple months because the sign will be generating and it says RVers please listen to the RV Navigator podcast and uh, we'll see how that goes haven't had any real reaction to it but we also have to say that when we talked to our uh, fellow travelers who we are just meeting for the first time and told them uh. that we did a podcast, <laughs> we still had to explain what a podcast was. Uh. So there's still education that needs to pay- take place, even though this group of travelers were not the youngest ones anymore, sad to say. Uh-huh. And no. I expect the people who are coming after me would be more... And we had the third largest, longest marriage. Yeah, that's kind of interesting too, isn't it? I well, mean, we're getting old. Yeah. <laughs> Better that. Catch us while you can. Better that than the alternative. I guess so. Actually, in the past few months, we have made some major purchases, which we wanted to talk about. We have upgraded our digital photography accessories and mainly our cameras. One of the major reasons why we've done this is to take advantage of the electronic viewfinders. Whether the digital SLR, I have been a lover of the digital SLR for a long time. And before that, the standard SLR. And SLR means that you're looking, single lens reflex, means that you're looking through the lens that you're taking the picture with. For a number of years, the only way you could do this was with a mirror that flipped up out of the way and the shutter went off and the mirror flipped down. That's called a single lens reflex. And it was good for film cameras and it was good for digital cameras. But you can imagine that a mirror flipping up and all the mechanism not only creates sound, but it creates a lot of weight and mechanical stuff. So, as you know, with a digital, you have a sensor, and the sensor can be displayed on a screen in live time. And that's why the cameras have gotten so small, and every phone worth its weight has a camera built in. So small cameras, tiny cameras, are ubiquitous these days. But you always have to look at that screen and hold it out in front of you. And that's the worst possible photography position imaginable. And on a bright, sunny day, you can hardly see it at all. And even on a not-so-bright, sunny day, I found that I was cutting off the tops of sailboats and the tops of trees because I just couldn't see them well enough. So I was so happy when you found for me a new camera that has a very convenient through-the-lens optical viewing system that's right there. It's It's not through the lens. Okay. It's electronic. It feels like it's well, you're looking, you're seeing what the lens is seeing, but it's being displayed on a OLED, mm-hmm. organic light emitting diode. And it's nice and sharp. That's the thing. That, that's the thing that's really changed over the years. I bought several electronic viewfinders, and the idea of electronic viewfinder is one that you put your eye up to it, and you look at a very small. <laughs> TV on the inside, and up until now they couldn't make those 
EFVs sharp, and they took quite a lot of battery power. So what would happen is you get kind of a picture that was smeared because it didn't refresh very regularly, and it was not very sharp, so you couldn't use it to focus, for instance, and you kind of had to guess at your your subject. So with OLEDs, they have now uh, really come up with uh, very sharp displays, and they're very small and, of course, light, so that you can now create a camera with the advantages of a digital SLR, but it has the small size of your digital camera. So, we just purchased the Sony DSCHX90V, and the 90V is the operative words there because the other designation has been used for earlier models, which you have. Mm-hmm. You really liked the Sony. Mm-hmm. I, and I was shocked to see that even though I was getting a viewfinder, this was a little bit smaller than my old camera, which is even better. Right. So this has not only the 3-inch LED on the back, but it also has a pop-up viewfinder which you pop up and use when you need it. Because, let's face it, there are lots of times when you don't need a viewfinder. And it has one of those screens on the back that you can flip up. If you want to take a picture of a flower that's down by your ankles, you can hold your camera down there and take the picture. That's the LED does that. Very cool. Very cool. So this has the pop-up viewfinder, which when you're using the camera in it with a long lens, because this has a 30x zoom lens... I still have questions about that. I'll have, oh, really? to, I'll have to let you know. On my old camera, when I would put it all the way out, I don't know if I couldn't hold it still enough or it just wasn't sharp enough. Probably it was me. Um, they would always be slightly blurry, and I could make them a little better with my <laughs> computer software, but if you were going to do any anything more than put them on the web, they would be disappointing. And we're not really sure whether that was because you couldn't keep it steady still, or uh-huh. because it was just not a very sharp lens. Right. But the bottom line is, this has that feature which you really appreciate, and that is a long lens. Right. Even if you only use it at half of its right, right. of its distance, it's still a dynamite lens. I mean, that's an equivalent of a 780-millimeter lens on there, and, and, and that's I, optical. And I'm kind of like, if, if that's the only way I can take the picture, oh, what the heck? Yeah, because exactly. it's free, and if it's no good, I'll delete and, it. And you can take a couple of pictures and not have any, yeah, any qualms no about it. Right. But now that you can hold it up to your face and really see what the picture is of... At 30x, it was hard to see before what the what was in the in the frame, right? It wasn't so much that being the problem, but I always had to leave a lot of excess. Well. <laughs> that my first move on almost every picture I took was to crop because I would just leave myself extra space because I couldn't tell for sure that everything I wanted to have in the picture was in the picture. Now, the other camera that I recently purchased was the Sony RX100, which has, amazingly, almost the same form factor as the 30X one that we were just talking about, the one that Martha has. The form factor is the same, but the camera's insights are very different. I gave up telephoto for speed. So this is a very fast lens. It's an f1.8 lens, so whereas yours is 3.5, much better in low light. But it's only a 3 to 1 zoom, so mm-hmm. it's only a, goes out to 105 millimeters. So between us, we've got it all covered. Well, but you might want people might want to ask, well, why did Ken buy this one and why did you buy that one? I'm looking at high-quality pictures. This has a 1-inch sensor. This takes raw This takes HDRs. And it'll take a good picture of a black bear in the woods. But it doesn't take it doesn't zoom in very far. Black bear in the woods. Because it'll be dark. It's oh. a fast camera. It's a <laughs> so even though these cameras uh, seem to be very similar, they're actually on the guts of them is very different. And then, as you also know, I, I recently purchased the Panasonic DMC FZ1000, which is a real replacement for a DSLR. It has a fixed lens on it, but a very nice, actually a much better viewfinder than either of these two Sony's. So that it is a, a fairly large. camera camera. It actually will replace many of the things that I use my DSLR for. So my DSLR is going to go into the archives. No, I'm going to use it for specialized purposes, and I brought it along on this trip. So if you want to do copies or if you want to use a super wide-angle lens and things like that, I will definitely uh, keep it around for that sort of stuff. But I think my daily shooting needs are going to be handled by primarily the Panasonic, and in my pocket will be the Sony, which will go with me in more places. So how does that leave you? Well, I, I have to see how I like it. I just got the camera right before we left home. Brand new. Brand new. So we were one of the first people in the in world. the universe to have this camera. But we are frequently on that, <laughs> the cusp when it comes to technology, right? Mm-hmm.
Something that people ask us about a lot because we are away from home so much is don't you worry about somebody breaking into your house. And then sometimes people also say to us, you're away from the campsite all day, you have a nice motorhome, aren't you worried about somebody breaking into the motorhome? And I guess if we really worried about it, we'd sell the motorhome and stay home. But up until now, it seems like any sort of burglar monitoring device type stuff was pricey and not all that reliable and we just said well if somebody's going to take our stuff they're going to take our stuff but, but now there are some more practical we've been working on security reasonably priced alternatives to monitoring all of our goodies to see if they're still there so we now have a webcam at home which we can look at anytime and it has zones on it so that you can pick out places that entry might occur and that it will watch for motion in those areas so it's only on when it detects motion. The other night we had very bad tornadoes in our area after we had already left home so I logged on to see if my living room was still there and it was. <laughs> and the internet was still working. <laughs> and good signs. Yeah and that's the issue with most of these cameras they are great for home because you have a continuous internet but on the road you don't always have that. But we have found a camera thanks to Greg Gerber uh, he put us onto the the Guardzilla, and the Guardzilla is a very nice little webcam that you can buy, surprisingly enough, at Best Buy. Uh, really not a very good deal on Amazon. So we went over to Best Buy and spent $100 on this camera, and we're installing it into the RV, and it is nice because it needs very little bandwidth in order to share its pictures so that when an event happens in your RV, it sends a single photo to your cell phone and then it records on a card that's in the camera. And the thing that tickled me was he said you could also talk to the person who had broken it has an alar- your motorhome. It has an alarm, yes. If you and say, it. can I help you? But you can. Wa- if you have enough bandwidth, it'll do lots of other things, but it also has a low bandwidth mode so that when we're on the satellite dish or we're on um, Campground limited, bandwidth. Limited yeah, we it will still monitor the RV and send us just a single picture of uh, the event of the guy ripping the camera off the wall, but it'll have his picture. Well, no. Yeah. So that's something we've purchased and we'll be installing in the near future. We hope we won't ever be able to tell you how well it works. Yes. Well, we'll be able to monitor the inside of the RV because you can turn it on and look anytime you want to. And it has an alarm, too. It has a siren that goes off. And it has a feature called geofencing auto alarm. So you have the app on your phone and when you leave it automatically senses that you are a certain distance away from the uh, unit itself and then it automatically arms and disarms when you come back very cool I don't know how excited she is about this. Use <laughs> your peace of mind. And the second thing we have purchased is the uh, an alarm system that runs on just batteries. So this is a nice thing because it is a has a proximity sensor, and that when somebody breaks in, the alarm goes off. So it might scare somebody. And anyway, we scare somebody off. It doesn't transmit, and it has a couple of fobs in order to make disarming and arming easily, uh, which will be nice. And that's uh, the perfect 12-volt DIY system. Not only lets you protect your valuables under your bed lid, but your interior contents as well. If you want to know more about these, there are the links on our podcast episode website. Podcast number one, two, three. Is that what we're on? We're on one, two, three. Exactly. We have not had any trouble, but you want to kind of protect yourself. Well, and if it's if it's and more this, practical, well, and affordable this, to do now, and this, what the heck? Yeah, and this one will work without any Wi-Fi, without any electricity, and will guard our spin being it. in storage. So that that to me is another nice thing. And with a couple of key fobs, it's easy to use and turn on and turn off. So that's good. Well, well as you can tell from listening thus far, we have not done anything about adding ads to the podcast. Ads. <laughs> but um, it's certainly generated a lot of listener email. And as you might expect, it ran the gamut from No Way to Jose to Can You Need to Run Ads So You Can Buy More Gizmos Ooh, yeah. to Talk About. Right. So I suspect that during these next two months when we are traveling, we will do nothing about it and we will ponder the subject some more. Certainly we respect the view that a lot of you have that if you're going to do an ad it should be something that you really like and believe yes. in, not just something that you're uh-huh. doing for the money. And we don't want to lose our freedom, whatever that is uh, to say what we think and talk about Have a little it. rant and rave every once in a while talk about things we like and things we don't like in a like Verizon. honest way. Verizon ripping us off in Canada. 
Yeah, everybody's quite consternated as we are about to cross the border about what to do about um, cell phone and data plans because we get ripped. And why, Verizon's big Canada plan is 100 minutes and of a, talking, and 100, 100, megabytes. 100 megabytes of data, and 100 texts for the low price of $15 a month, which is ridiculous. And I don't know how they get off getting, they used to offer 1,000 minutes, and I don't just don't understand how they could make that as a, as a deal. But, of course, compared to the price that you pay if you didn't get the plan. People here didn't realize that they had to do something about their phone, and when they got back from Canada, they had a $1,200 bill, they had from, a bill from Verizon. From Verizon. Ouch. Yeah. And Verizon did the good thing, and they cut it in half. They still had to pay 600 bucks. Still you think, ouch. You think, whoa. So be careful if you take your phone into a foreign country. So, some listener email. We don't have an RV now. We've been to shows and dealers and thought about it a lot. We rented a Class C for a week to go to a NASCAR race and a national park and had a fine time. Next week, our primary house goes on the market, so we will eventually be down to only the Cape House and lots of cash in the bank. That's a good feeling. (laughs) We are thinking of doing a three- to six-week rental to try it out before we make the final decision to buy our own or not. We got all excited about fifth wheels for a while, but that has faded. My cousin tried to sell me his monster-sized Class A, but it was not the right time. I feel about Class A's like I feel about all-in-one printers. If the fax breaks, you can't print either, and if you need a higher-quality scanner, you need to upgrade the whole thing at once. So this has swung us back to thinking about travel trailers. Get a nice travel trailer and a nice SUV, and the travel trailer doesn't work out, we'll still have the nice SUV. But if the SUV poops out in the Rockies, we can swap it for a diesel pickup. We checked out Airstreams in Fort Myers over Christmas, and one of the realtors we are considering loves her new lacrosse TT, but they have lots of kids and grandkids, so we don't need one that big for just the two of us and Teddy the Golden Retriever. So this is the dilemma. What kind of unit to buy? Um, Certainly, I think the renting is a good idea because Mm -hmm. it will give you some more feel for what works for you. Um, As you know, we've owned them all and liked them all for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And here we are with a gargantuan motorhome. Which is by far our best choice. So, Mike, your plan is a good one, but this comparison to a all-in-one printer is not a very good comparison. Remember... Your Class A motorhome, you tow a car, so you have at all times you have two vehicles in which to rely on in case there's a breakdown. Whereas if you have a travel trailer, you have one. If you have a fifth wheel, you have one. That gives you a peace of mind, I think. I can remember going four-wheeling in our truck when we had a fifth wheel, right. and we went in some really dicey areas, and I thought, oh, my God, if this thing breaks, we, we can't go anywhere. Right. All we had left was our bicycles. And also understand that, of course, in a Class A, if something goes wrong, just like with a trailer, you're going to have it fixed, and there will be accommodations made. I would think that only under the most dire of circumstances are you going to have to stay in a motel or something. RV dealers are very good about letting you stay in your RV when it's well, feasible. Well, you know, if it- something goes wrong in your trailer, you're not going to be able to live in it anyway. Yes, you're going to have a car, but we have a car anyway, so. And you have to talk about drivability, and there is a world of difference f- between these three categories. And I will just casually mention that when we owned a travel trailer, I totaled it and almost killed us both. It's just basically an unstable sort of situation. Right. Travel trailers are for two week vacations, and those people who are not going to travel very much. So basically we heard the statement the other day that if you travel more than 5,000 miles a year in this vehicle, then you probably want a motorhome. If you're less than 5,000 miles a year and you are a couple as you will be, then you want a fifth wheel because you're going to go and sit. But understand that a a reasonable-sized fifth wheel is going to need a dually truck, which means that you're going to have this huge vehicle to drive around all the time anyway. Which I didn't like very much. Which we didn't like very much anyway. So towing a regular size or even a small-sized car behind you on your Class A is really a huge advantage. And you have to ask, how much white-knuckle driving can I stand? Every time a semi goes by you in a travel trailer, your knuckles are white on that steering wheel because it's going to move it's going to move your trailer 
A fifth wheel, less so. A fifth wheel is pretty good because of the dynamics of putting the weight of the hitch in front of the, uh, the rear axle of the truck. So that makes it uh, substantially more stable, and you don't get the fish tailing that you do with a trailer. And you know, every travel trailer has to have uh, stabilizers and anti-sway mechanisms, and even then, they're very prone to misloading. Um, if you put too much weight on the hitch, if you put too much weight on the back, you're going to have uh, trouble. Can't carry much water with them because they're basically at their capacity in terms of uh, their gross vehicle weight. Whereas a motorhome, because it's it's built as a single unit, the manufacturer has taken all those factors into account, and it is still a very stable vehicle. Diesel pushers are better than gas motorhomes, but still, I think they all all the motorhomes kind of share that. And sitting up high, having a big window in front of you, having the engine in the back, is just there's just no comparison to sitting in a cockpit of a pickup truck where you can't move around and the seats aren't that comfortable. I can't tell from your email how experienced or apt you are, but I can think of a number of people who trailer and find parking them and backing them oh, up yes. and ending oh, up where they issue. thought they wanted to be a bit of a challenge. It's not something that you can't learn, but you can do some serious damage before you've got it down pat. And it causes a lot of marital discord, too, from what I can remember. Mm, yes, you can't depend on pull-throughs at all places. So... The only fair advice you get is from people who have owned all three. And so you need to talk to some folks that have had uh, experience with all three because they're the only ones who can make the comparison. Yes, people like their, their Airstreams, but they've never driven anything else. Yes, people like their fifth wheels, but they've never driven anything else. It's like us in our quest to find the best place for winter. Yes, people like Arizona, but they've never lived anyplace else. And same thing for Florida. Anyway, so be sure you get plenty of advice and, you know, experience it yourself. You're, yeah, you're your idea of trying things yeah. out on your own is a good one, I think. So from Will. He's got a question about a topic that he hasn't heard us talk about before in any of our other shows. It goes as follows. I'm shopping for a gently used diesel pusher in the 37 to 40 foot range. We will use it a fair amount in the mountains and high elevations of the west, skiing in the spring and hanging out in the cooler temps in summer. One of my hopes is that we will find a unit that has a hydronic heat system, but this turns out to exclude some real nice units, so I'm trying to get a feel for how much weight I should really place on this feature. Hydronic heating has so many desirable attributes, I give it a lot of weight on the pro side. Maintenance hassles being a wash with propane furnace and hot water tank, the only real con I can see for hydronic is the chance that my wife might too regularly get a whiff of diesel exhaust and of course units that have it will be a bit more expensive i know propane is less efficient and more costly to heat with but it would do the job my biggest concern on propane is the convenience with propane heat we'd burn through it pretty often compared with just using it for a stove and fridge and have to go looking for a fill-up every few days. So I guess my question is about how much of a hassle it is to find propane on the road and get a 40-footer close to the refill station. With RVs we've rented, I've never had the pleasure of the refill experience, <laughs> and filling the tank for my backyard barbecue doesn't compare. <laughs> no. So I would welcome your opinion on hydronic versus propane. Also, propane-fired hydronic would suffer the same convenience tax, I assume. That was from Will. Okay, Will, that's a good question. And we have just recently in this motorhome had hydronic, and it's, it's fairly For the first new. Time. Right, we have an Oasis system. It's considerably more complex than the furnace and the uh, hot water system that you've had in your other coaches. I, I wouldn't place that to me. What would you think? I wouldn't place that high a value in it. I was very happy with the way the old systems worked. Yeah. And propane itself is very easy to find. Many campgrounds have trucks that come around and will fill it up on site. Or if you call them, they will come out and fill your tank up. And many campgrounds have a tank that they use to supply RVers because every RVer uses I can't remember propane. ever going to a non-RV place and filling when we oh, had yes, it we on, the, on the rig. Yeah. I can remember doing it like a truck. And that's, not a, and that's not much of an issue at all. Uh-huh. The campgrounds, there are enough of them RV around. RV dealers that have it. And, and filling up a Class A is no big deal. Yeah. And because we had a 32-gallon tank. You didn't have to do it very often. No. Once every two weeks. Uh, in the heating season, and maybe once every two months without heating. Uh, our furnace, we've never had a furnace breakdown. So the 
propane furnaces are very reliable, and they don't have a pilot light and stuff like that, so there's no real maintenance to do on them, whereas the hydronic heating has to be maintained. With, with that diesel jet, it, it, it takes its toll, and it has a fair amount of complexity to it. But I don't smell any diesel, do you? Oh, well, you do if you go outside, uh-huh. and it's very loud. Uh-huh. I think. here I don't smell it. No, but we do like the hydronic, but understand that in most coolish situations, maybe you're going to go in some places. a lot more cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, but you can use your heat pumps, and the heat pumps use electricity. And most of the time we brought along a little electric heater so that we could use the campground's electricity rather than using either propane or diesel. And, of course, the hydronic has an electric component also for moderately cool weather. So the hydronic is nice, but I wouldn't call it necessary. Not a deal breaker for me at all. And our last email that we're going to talk about today is from Ron. You also asked your listeners to send in ideas for rookie mistakes. (laughs) Somebody told me I should leave my gray tank connection open, but I don't think it's a good idea because you can use the gray tank to flush out your hose after emptying your black tank. Even though the sinks have traps, I still believe some of the sewer odor made its way into the rig as well. Now, in a follow-up email with him, I... I mentioned that we just dump our tank, our black tank, maybe once every 10 days, and our gray tank we leave open, except the day before I'm going to dump the black tank, and then I, because I want the whoosh. Which is what he's suggesting. Which is what he's suggesting. And he wrote me back and said, well, I have uh, a wife and two kids, and I small. to dump more often? Small tanks and so he said i just leave them both shut and they whoosh together so that's a good idea and i think he understands the principle here yeah that uh most people can leave their gray tank open depending on how often you have to empty it but right. he had to empty it every day and had to empty his black tank every other day so he just left it open so he just he left them shut sense. what he yeah. said makes sense for yeah. his situation yeah. and you know you have to take this stuff with a grain of salt i'm telling you our experience and we are more than happy to listen to your experience too and he also had a suggestion for rookie to buy an RV travel log. Friends bought one for us, and it's basically a binder with pages for each of your stays. There's information on each page for address, website, memories, ratings for the site. It's been very useful for us to go back to this written log to decide about returning to campgrounds we have visited. And in 40 years, it'll be really helpful. <laughs> we wish we would have this. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. But I'm not very good at doing that. I, I try to use the blog for that in some way my travel blog for that in some ways but i don't usually write about the campground unless it's remarkable in some way in my mind and so then we aren't always sure where we stay well it doesn't we don't list the how much we paid and right, what right. site we were in and all that sort of stuff i don't find that stuff interesting yeah we don't go back to many places too often either but it's, I, good for I, your but it's, it's fun to know yeah. and to just to kind of look back mm-hmm. on it so i certainly uh, am sympathetic to this and i think it's a good idea but it hasn't worked out for us. But And your blog is listed at where? At mytripjournal.com slash Wiseman. And these days it also serves uh, a useful purpose in that we have traveled so much and are getting so old that we can't remember where we've been when. Speak for yourself. And it's a good place old. to look up and answer those questions when we start arguing with each other. Okay, some other RVing news. As you know, we are big fans of uh, the Corps of Engineers parks, and there is a brand new Corps of Engineers campground book, which we would like to recommend that you take a look at it. If you look at our complaint was about uh, the cost of uh, camping. If you're old, you get to camp in the Corps of Engineer parks for half price, which brings it down to $9 rather than 18 And these are really nice sites. I would put this at the top of the list. If there's a Corps of Engineers site nearby, I would definitely take advantage of it because it's run by the government and they frequently have spent pads and nice hookups and the whole shot. I would say as a camping experience, they're first rate, but often they are not located in areas that have a lot else going on. Um, But if you want a nice, relaxing water view. They were built as a result of some sort of Corps of Engineer project, project, usually a dam or a lake or something. So fishermen and people like that, uh, well, if you're just into nature, the Camp Corps of Engineers parks are really nice. They're almost always on a lake. Who just want a place to chill for the weekend? They are ideal. And the ones we we went along the Mississippi River. I mean, they're just really nice parks. Yes. And so this book is called RV Camping in the Corps of Engineers Parks, and it's a 2015 edition. So you might want to take a look at that. We also found an interesting product called Bolt Lock. <laughs> 
you know, we use, uh, and I think, I'm sure you do too, we use padlocks for all sorts of things, you know, picnic tables and sheds. And this is a company who makes a padlock as well as a chain lock as well as a steel rope lock. Instead of giving you a special key, they have a system whereby it uses the key, your ignition key from your car. So you only need one key. I'm thinking about my car and it doesn't use an ignition key. That's a problem. <laughs> this, this product may be very short-lived <laughs> because nobody has a key anymore. No, but but our RV does have a key. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking about our shed in Florida yeah. that yeah. when we get down there, I'm going to buy one of these locks so that I can't so lose can open it. So I can open the shed. Back, yeah. And there are all sorts of places like that. And things like locking your trick. They have ones for trailer hitch pins mm-hmm. so that you can unlock your trailer hitch pin with the, with, same, with the same key that you have for the ignition. Yeah. And then you don't have to worry about, well, if you lose one, you're going to lose them both. So uh, that just seems like a really nice a idea. Good idea. And if they're not too expensive, which I don't know how much they cost, it, it was something to look at. That's boltlock.com. And finally, we're, we're glad to see in the media that younger adults are embracing the RV lifestyle. It's nice to know that it's not just for geezers. Uh, things that are attracting them to it are lower gas prices. They tend to like, <laughs> like living, little houses little houses, and not living in McMansions. Um, they have the travel bug just like we do. And now that more and more Internet <laughs> is available in campgrounds, they can... Um, work while they are on the road or keep in touch with their friends while they're on the road. So good news for campground owners that the customers will keep on coming. And I just read that millennials now have surpassed the number of baby boomers. Of course, we're kind of declining. We're dying off. <laughs> but that millennials, who would be this category, yeah. they are interested in you know low prices, little houses, getting that they have the travel bug and they want to have uh, connectivity at all times. Another interesting topic is uh, RV slide-outs, and do you want electric or hydraulic? And what's your feeling? It's confusing. What do we have? I don't remember. (laughs) I just want it to work. We have electric. But it's interesting that we have jacks that are hydraulic. So we actually have a separate hydraulic pump, which runs the jack system, but they don't use that for the slides. Numar has always used uh, electric slides, and they have always worked well for us. So we are in favor of of the electrics, but a lot of motorhomes use hydraulics. So which one do you want to use? One of our friends with a large 40-foot fifth wheel curses her hydraulic slide-out system. When she wants to make a quick stop, she'd like the choice of which slide-out to push out. On her rig, pushing a slide-out room actuator button, the hydraulic pump fires up and slowly pumps out first the kitchen, then the living room, and finally the bedroom. This means a quick setup for just getting a few hours of sleep on the road is anything but quick. The bedroom is the last accessible space in her rig. That would be a big problem. Mm -hmm. With the same token, one button does all the slides. Whereas ours with four slides, we have four, four separate buttons. buttons, and we got to go around and do them I like independently. It better this way. Electric slide outs are individually operated. In our rig, we can slide out the living room, the bedroom, and the entertainment center in any order we choose. It's up to us to put out all or just one or just a couple. But electrically driven slide out systems have their own problems. An electric motor can go haywire, a gearbox can chew itself up. Drive pins associated with the gear mechanism can suddenly leave you stranded by shearing. Pinch the slide room or don't keep the system lubricated. The slide develops a bit of resistance movement in which in which in turn causes a greater demand on electrical power. These can lead to tripping breakers or worse, physical damage. Which one should we use? We like the electric. And I think they're very powerful and useful. And to we have for us. one motor runs each of the slides. So, Do both systems have a manual override if you get into that's trouble? That's a really good question. Ours does. It always gave me peace of mind to know that as difficult as it would be, we could do it manually. Yeah. But bottom line is that you definitely want to have slides in your <laughs> in your vehicle. That makes it uh, so much more livable. And last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, she has something to say. Oh, I feel like I need to respond to all of you nice oh. people who she um, does have something to gave say. me advice about my financial oh. rant and rave from, I think, two months ago. And I, I wanted to follow up with that in case you care um, that I was happy to discover 
that after 45 years of doing all of our money jointly, that I do indeed have a FICA score and <laughs> some sort of record with the credit-keeping people. And I think what the problem really boils down to is the fact that the credit card people don't want to deal with more than one person. And if I were to go ahead and get my own credit card, which I'm still contemplating, that Ken would have the same hassles if I was the lead person that I am having now, um, where if you want to like call in and say we're going on a trip and this is where we're going to go, they want to make sure that he agrees with what I'm about to tell them. I find that very annoying. However, the other day we did have one of those follow-up transactions where they think that somebody stole your card and they want to verify that you really made those purchases and I made the call and they talked to me and as long as I knew your social security number I think the last four um, they were quite happy to talk to me so that made me feel a little better about it all she's empowered ladies and gentlemen you always want to hedge your bets I want you to be able to take over my credit card and I want to be able to take over yours when when you're the lead person so thanks um, to all of you for the good advice that you sent me I will let you know if there are any further further developments in my world of high finance. So you want to keep an eye on the website because there might be a PayPal button there. Oh, that's what somebody told us to do. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. No advertising, but if you want to give us a cup of coffee, we will have different sizes of cups of coffee from small to grande. What about a glass of wine? Or a glass? Yes, you could. Oh, we could have different kinds of wine. We can call it whatever we want to, but you can (laughs) donate it. No Grigio button. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. Yeah, yeah, to heck with coffee. Let's make it wine. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Uh, so we will probably have some options if you'd like to donate to the RV Navigator podcast. And or Ken's of course, technology gizmos button. Uh, right, well, that's what <laughs> that's it's, that's, that's it's going to go for. <laughs> There's no question about that. Really but as somebody suggested that I uh, get donations from companies, but that's absolutely not true. Uh, for everything that I own, I've bought. You I've bought, bought uh, yourself and hard won and thrown away. Oh, by the way, if anybody. Speaking of this, if anybody wants the last version of the Sony camera, uh, the 50V, as opposed to Martha's new 90V, it's for sale. It's in perfect condition, yeah, am I right? Yeah. Perfect condition. and Just doesn't have a viewfinder. Yes. And, yeah, it's virtually the same camera with the 30X zoom and everything. Yeah. It's for sale and cheap. This is another way. Just click on the button. <laughs> So we'd like to end up today with uh, a fabulous a totally new, unnecessary thing. Which we haven't bought yet, but we're seriously thinking of. It's called no, the not. Night... It's, we're not? No, we're not. <laughs> it's called the Night Glow in the Dark seat Toilet Seat. It will stay lit all night long. After a charge from any lighted source available in blue and green, they glow both in round and elongated shapes. So it's called the Night Glow Toilet Seat. That's pretty sad if you need that. Well, in the dark of the of the RV, you could have a, a toilet seat that you could see when you want to sit on it. You've never missed the toilet? No. Especially not in the RV. The toilet, the whole toilet room is hardly bigger than I am. <laughs> so where are you going you to come fi- through the door? And where there would it you is. find the link to the nightglowseats.com? If you wanted to go and find one of these, I think maybe it's time for our listeners to step up and sell us and try and try this and, this and give us a review. <laughs> <laughs> so, dear listener, uh, we do appreciate you listening, and we would love to hear a review about the night glow seats for your toilet in your RV. Well, I suppose you could put it in your home too. Yeah. Okay. You need it more there. Although I we think. saw this on an RV website. Yeah, but. In a big room in a house, you might have more trouble finding the toilet in the dark. In my RV, it's not a problem. So it's unlikely that we will see you in a campground near us. But if you see a rig with a big yellow sticker on it that says number 22, that's that's us. Well, for our Canadian friends, they might see us. Our Canadian friends might see us in the Canadian maritime provinces. We might be famous up there. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know if we have any listeners in that area. So if you see 22, We will make time to see you if you are up there in that area. But uh, if not, we will see you on the next podcast in the month of August. Internet. There's a July. We're doing the. We're doing July. July. So the August podcast. Nice to talk to you. Happy travels. Happy travels.